You're at the desk of the Crucial Conversation. We got an awesome episode to get to this week. Brian, why don't you tell me about some of these sponsors we got going on? Oh, who do you want to hear about first? We have so many great sponsors. You know what? Hit me with the Drifted Drum Company. Drifted Drum Company. Dr. April Jones. What more do you need to know whenever it's somebody who's got the name doctor up at the front? You know it's somebody you can trust. Dr. April Jones wrote a book entitled No Mess no message. You can order that book today from her website, thedrifteddrumcompany.com. You want to get on there. You want to read that story. She has an awesome story. Her son has an awesome story. They tell it in the book. It's going to minister to you. If you're an overthinker and you look at your problems and you it's causing you, you hold on. I'm not even going to talk about it. Just read it. In, it's in the book. Check it out today at thedrifteddrumcompany.com. Promo code CRUCIAL. Get 10% off your order. What else do you need? Well, what else do you what, need? What more is there? And you know what, Brian? Why don't you read that book in the nice, warm comfort of your home? Tell me about Anderson Heat and Air. Okay, for Anderson Heat and Air, here's the thing. It's cool outside. We're in the middle of October right now. The leaves are about to start changing colors. What you need to change is you need to change your air filter. You need to change out some of the things that are in your home. you got to make that thing work right. Anderson Heat and Air is here to help you out to make sure that your home functions the way that you want it to function. You can call Matt Anderson today at 870-664-1967. Again, that is Anderson Heat and Air. They will work on your commercial properties, your residential properties. They'll work on any Anything that, that works with air, they'll fix it. Maybe not the air unit in your car. I don't know about that. You'll have to call Anderson in <laughs> here to find out. But here's what's important is you spend the most of your time in your home. You need to be comfortable while you're there calling that Anderson today. What if you're not comfortable in your old house, Brian? What do we need to do? Get rid of it. Sell it. Sell it. Get rid of it. Don't 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 settle. I don't know who to go to. What do I do? Well, we that's the reason why we have the Crucial Conversation podcast. When you don't know what else to do, you turn to the Crucial Conversation podcast. We minister to the need and how we're going to minister to the need of you sick of that home is telling you about Live Oak Real Estate. Dustin Thomas is there to help you out to help you find a new home, whether you're looking to rent, sell, buy, whatever it is. You can call them today at 870-520-2522. Again, that is 870-520-2522. Bro, are you okay? Every now and then I get a little dyslexic. What are you going to do? I'll give it to you again just to make sure everybody (laughs) out there knows. Again, it is 870-520-2522. Or you can go to their website at listwithliveoak.com. There it is. There it is. Brian, I'm so thankful you bought me something to eat tonight. I was hungry when we got here. We love that chicken from Popeye's. Yeah, but let me tell you about... They're not a sponsor. Let's not talk about Popeye's. Let me tell you about something. If we're not in a hurry and we want a nice, good Italian dinner, Mm -hmm. we can go to Lazari Italian Oven. Listen, I know that you guys are probably getting ready to be like, oh, I'm not listening to this ad again. You've said it a million times. Let me tell you why it's a special place in my heart. I've never left there hungry. They have everything from appetizers to bread to dessert. Uh, Let me talk about that entree. If you want a nice, good pasta and you don't want that commercial junk that you get everywhere else, where do we go, Brian? Lazari Italian Oven. All day. All night. Go ahead and tell me what you eat there. What I eat there, whenever I go there, as I start off, I'm eating the bread. I've got the pepper they hand out, the fresh crush black pepper i get the bread in that i put their their homemade butter on it and whenever i flip that menu open it actually it's already open it's a it's a back and forth uh menu on there so actually i don't open it i flip it up i look through it i start scrolling down the first thing i'm looking for is where it says grill and i'm just like oh my word listen you've never had an italian restaurant cook you the steak 
like Lazari's can cook you a steak. You need to calm the day. You need to get a reservation in. You need to take your wife out somewhere special. The holidays are coming up. You need to treat her right. Or your husband. You can treat your husband right. I don't know. I'm not here to judge. 870-931-4700. Call them today and make it happen. I'm glad you just started talking about the holidays that we got coming up. You know what? Your kid is tired of these plastic junk toys you keep getting from Walmart. They play with them for three minutes. They break. And you know what? You've wasted $35 and you've wasted your child's time. Luckily for you, we've got a sponsor that's got some gifts that's going to make your child happy for the years to come. Brian, tell us about Jonesboro Cycle. Oh, man. All you need to know is you need to know the website because you're already you should already be convinced. When we talk about ATVs, when we talk about KNM, when we talk about everything else they got we've wave about, runners now, Brian. Everything that they go karts. All you need to know scooters. All you need golf carts. Give me one more. Um, motorcycles, there, there dirt bikes. bikes. There it is. <laughs> everything. Here's what all you need to know is JonesboroCycle.com with the promo code. Crucial. And get 10% off. Again, that is jonesboroscycle.com and use the promo code crucial. crucial. Don't ever forget that word. Crucial. 10% off on drifteddrumcompany.com, jonesboroscycle.com. And with Jonesboro Cycle, if you need to call and get some more information, hey, listen, trust but verify. Trust what we're saying, but you can verify it. Call them at 870-935-288. Is that a one or a seven, Tony? I can't read that. That's a seven. I'm sorry. That's a seven. That's an eight seven zero nine three five two eight eight seven. You know what? If that's not a seven, try one. Hey, you know what? It's worth it. If you call somebody and it's your grandma you haven't talked to in a long time (laughs) and you you guys have been disconnected for a while, you can just send an email thanking the conversation for reconnecting you. Invite them to a church at the Pentecostals of Jonesboro or something. And and tell them to listen to the crucial conversation while you're talking. And then you go ahead and you try it with that seven. You get a hold of the guys at Jonesboro Cycle. Hey, we've got a conversation about to start right now. You're not going to win and miss out. Enjoy this. There's a lot more that happens to us that has spiritual aspects than we would like to think. We would like to try to separate our life from our spiritual life, but the truth is that's not the case. We are spiritual beings. Everything we do has a spiritual aspect. Therefore, every time you pray, you are doing spiritual things, whether you understand it or not. We got to say a big welcome tonight to Brother Philip Flowers from Marion, Arkansas. Um, Brother Flowers, well, thank you for so much for being able to spend time with us today. Uh, have a conversation where we can get to know you a little bit better. Our listeners will, of course, get to know you and be acclimated with your ministry. Um, how old were you whenever you, your family went to Madagascar? I was 13 years and 10 months old when we finally left. I was 12 and a half when we applied to be missionaries. So that um, I got over there just short of 14 and came back to the States just short of 18 years. So in that four years, that's, a, that's some formidable, formative years as a young person. You've been all over the place. You've been uh, to Africa. You, you know, Obviously here, you pastor in the States. Uh, tell us a little bit about the story of, of coming up uh, obviously, you were in a ministry family because your family became missionaries. Uh, what, what's your what's your backstory before you guys went to Madagascar? My dad was pastoring in Henderson, Tennessee, and uh, I had been there until I was, like I said, twelve and a half. 
before I came along, he had done Bible school in Canada, and my mom was there also. But they were from that area. That My dad was from Lexington, which is just the next city over from Henderson, and mom was from Jackson. So Henderson was almost a part of their stomping ground. So I grew up there and got my foundation and was raised there. So, so whenever your father brought it to your attention and your mom's attention that, hey, we might be getting called somewhere else. What was that conversation like? Because, Brian, I couldn't imagine if my dad came to me at such a young age and said, hey, we're leaving the country. And how many siblings do you have, by the way? I have two brothers, John and Andrew. Um, so we lived in the parsonage, and my bedroom door, actually their bedroom door, my brother's bedroom door, bordered the kitchen where mom and dad were talking. And the truth was I had my ear up against the door spying on my parents <laughs> because I knew something was going on. And, and I knew that it was about moving, and so, you know, <laughs> I was, sadly enough, listening in on a conversation before I was invited. Parents learned how to uh, not do that. But anyway, um, so I kind of burst in and was like, we're going to Madagascar? And and they were like, you've been spying on us. And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> anyway. That, had you seen the Madagascar movie by that time? They had went. Uh, <laughs> we we don't watch movies at all. <laughs> well, uh, this might not be the podcast for you then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not only that, but that movie probably didn't come out. For, never mind. I'm not say how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, but they had been there when uh, five years previous, and so they had brought back uh, several things and pictures, and so I was at least approximately familiar with the concept of the country. It's so a very did they bring country. back a burden or did that birth out of something else? My dad had an application fully filled out with uh, missing my mom's signature and the Lord dealt with my mom through a letter that Jerry Richardson sent to my dad and she asked for an answer to why she was feeling like she was and that very day they got that letter from brother Jerry Richardson and so when she told him what she was feeling, he walked over to the church office, his his office in the church, and brought her back this application that had been filled out, laid it on the table, and said, sign here. And that was that. Well, I kind of want to stop right here, Brian, and let's just have a conversation about that. Um, Brother Flowers, you don't know this, but Brian and I, we have been uh, given a few words, and um, you know, we really just needed some affirmation. And what's crazy is uh, that Brian and I were given a word by two different gentlemen in the same day about, what was that, about six, seven hours apart. Isn't it just crazy how whenever you put things in God's hands, even though you don't have the answers other people do? It is crazy to the flesh, yes. Yeah. But that that the reason I came on the podcast is, as much as anything, my goal is to reaffirm to anybody listening uh, the gifts of the Spirit, words of wisdom, words of knowledge are absolutely real. Absolutely. And they, we should be relying on the voice of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit more than our wisdom and our logic. Sure, yeah. I mean, because sometimes, you know, <laughs> Brian, I'm going to talk about your faith here. Uh, I was given a word by a man that I hold very high in my life. And this was at 9 a.m. I'm not going to go into it, but it was at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday, random Tuesday. At 3 p.m., another man that has no connection with him calls and gives me the exact same same word. And I call Brian. I said, bro, you're not going to believe this, but I got a second phone call here. And uh, 
he said the same thing, and they've not been talking. And Brian's like, there's no way. I said, Brian, call the man. I mean, confirm with him. And, you know, it just speaks volumes of men who, you know, let the word and, and the Lord work through them. That's very important. That is very, very important. I mean, and I, I, I definitely want to uh, commend you for coming on the podcast to talk to us a little bit about that because I don't know your full story, but uh, I know you and Brian's been stayed in contact quite a bit. And for those listening, you you know that Brian don't ask people on the podcast. Brian, is this your first one you've asked on our podcast? Yes, actually. <laughs> he is. I think actually we've made a connection with him first, but uh, I've been following up with him and uh, I've enjoyed, uh, I've greatly enjoyed having conversations with you and talking about different things, the gifts of the Spirit. There are things that you've experienced, things that you have such a deep knowledge of, of things of the Spirit that I really want to get into. You know, I haven't told you this, though, is that um, sitting at this table or doing this podcast about two Saturdays ago, we had two individuals that were sitting here, and I had, uh, it was myself, there was another gentleman, uh, two other gentlemen in our church, and one of their sons that were here. And the two others that were filling these seats were members of another church denomination. And they came here to talk to us and try and convince us that the miraculous is no longer relevant today. That the gifts of the Spirit ceased, that speaking in tongues is no longer uh, real. It is, it, and they went through and they began to talk about their theological differences. And I'm actually sitting in the seat I was sitting in whenever I was having the conversation. And we were going back and forth. And, and some of their arguments were, were just silly. Uh, all the way to the point that they were convinced that only the 12 apostles spoke in tongues. And you want to know one of their proof texts for that was? That the upper room was too small to hold 120 people. Well, that, it's a done deal, right? It's right. Yeah. And so how do you argue Where, Where's that, that square footage found? Do you, yeah. Does anybody know? Exactly. It's and that's what I asked Square, them. Uh, what do they call that? Uh, cubits. Cubits. Yeah. yeah, that's what I asked. And I said, why are in the scripture do you have the square footage of the upper room? But they were legit. They were convinced and I know we've talked about a bunch of stuff, and I was about to ask you a question about the scriptural answer to people that don't believe in the gifts, um, because I know you, you teach PI. But I'd like to ask the question in kind of a different way. And the different way that I want to ask it is in terms of how important is it to believe in the truth and not false doctrine? Because there is so much false doctrine out there that just captures people and locks them into the false the false. Uh, a false gospel and false belief, and, and these and there are people that they are convinced that maybe the miraculous isn't for today, and it's just because it's been the tra tradition that has been handed down for generation to generation to generation. How important is it to know the truth, believe in the truth, and not be drawn away and enticed by false doctrine? I think that it is everything I, you know it's one if if you want to put in a percentage it'd be a hundred percent if you want to it's completely vital first corinthians 1 7 said so that you come behind in no gift waiting on the coming of the lord jesus christ so the gift there no gift will be the gifts of the spirit and so the church is supposed to have the gifts of the spirit not only is it supposed to have the gifts of the spirit it's supposed to not lack any of them. And this was said to the Corinthian church, which was, you know, they were overly using the gifts. And so he knows what he's going to say. And so he says, even though you're overly using the gifts, that's my parenthetical, make sure you don't lack any of them because they're that important. And so when you read the Revelation 2 and 3, there are seven churches that are addressed. 
to every one of the seven churches, they're, they're all told two things. You, he that hath in the ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And so, in other words, that is a gift of the, that is several gifts of the Spirit, if not all the gifts of the Spirit. And then the other thing would be um, you know, him that overcometh. And, and I would say that the overcoming is going to have is going to have to be also connected to the operation of the Spirit in our lives. I, I think these are two things that come in tandem. And um, people who overcome are typically people who are connected to the Holy Ghost. That's what Romans eight is telling us. Uh, very clearly that you you know if you have not the spirit of Christ you're not of his and so you know if you're going to overcome the flesh you're going to do it by the spirit that's the connection if that makes any sense yes and and so with all that then so whenever you're in the setting with somebody that that they're skeptical about healing or about the miraculous um, do you go to do you tend to stick towards scriptural arguments or do you end up giving personal testimonies of, okay, well, you can, you can say whatever, but here, here is what I have actually experienced. Well, I want to interject here as well because so many times, like if you feel like you are so passionate about something and you're trying to relay what you know is the truth, that you know you've witnessed it yourself, you understand it, you know it, and I don't care what you have to say. It's a personal experience. How do you relay, like Brian was saying, what do you stick to biblical knowledge or like say, hey, this is what the scripture says? Or do you say, hey, this is how I've overcame this. This is, this is a real thing here. I, I think everything has to go through a filter of the Word of God. So I think it's Bingo. important Absolutely. To, sh to share it as a filter. But the Bible says they overcame him with the word of their testimony. And so uh, we're overcoming the devil when we win somebody to the Lord. That we're taking people from his kingdom, right? Right. And so the word of our testimony has been given to us in a customized fashion. God puts you through things on purpose so that you can um, have a testimony to, and I'm, that may sound harsh, I don't mean it to sound harsh, but there are things we go through because God is letting us build our testimony, if that makes any sense. Um, and so, you know, we can say over time, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. David wasn't just building scripture there. He was giving his own personal testimony about what he had seen. And so we are, we are with, we're living epistles right of all men. And so I give my testimony and I encourage people in the church, you know, I've got eight or so that had been delivered from nicotine. Some were instantaneous. Some locked themselves in a room for seven days and took a week off of work. To, but regardless, that's where they are. And so each one of them has a testimony to what God does. You know, and those are powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're actually going through something right now. Uh, uh, we didn't, I, I guess we didn't filter. I guess we should have. But you're going with, through something with your wife right now. Right. And um, you pastor in Marion, correct? That's Marion, correct. Marion, Arkansas. And, but you're living in Jonesboro right now, which is about, what, an hour, maybe? No, about 45 minutes from Marion? Yeah, between those two numbers. Yeah. So why, why are you in Jonesboro? I want you, I want you to explain how your testimony can help people. So we had, um, uh, we, when we first got married, we had one miscarriage, and then we had two healthy boys. And then we had five miscarriages in a row that coincided with our planning the church in Marion. And 
so we began to see that there was probably a spiritual aspect to this. We had a minister come to our church and was preaching for us, Jonathan Sanders, and just in the middle of his, early in his message, he turned around and looked at my wife, who had not left the keyboard yet, and, so, and said, the Lord has healed your womb. And so with that statement, um, wasn't long after that that Everett, our third one, whom we did not think we would ever be able to have, came along. And then we're having our fourth, but we have a uh, potential internal bleeding issue that if we catch it, um, one of the things that makes it so dangerous is if we catch it and then we have to have a long drive to a hospital that has both the intensive care unit for my wife and then a neonatal intensive care unit for the child, we don't have the time that it takes to drive that long. But what we've done is we put the, we have a file at the hospital here in Jonesboro where if we see anything, I can take her straight over or she can even drive herself if I'm out of pocket. And they have fully are prepared for us in everything that we uh, would have to go through. And so uh, every day is a victory for us. You said that you began to realize that it was a, it was a potentially a spiritual attack. Uh, whenever you talked about having the five miscarriages. We've talked on the phone recently, and I'd like to see if you can give some of those insights into our listeners. We had a friend, mutual friend, that had called me and was talking about how he had a pastoral friend who has colon cancer. And the previous pastor of the church passed away to colon cancer. And the question he was having is, is it just a coincidence? Or is it a thing of the Spirit? How do you discern whether or not something is you know, just life happening, and 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 how it was that it's a, something that, that spirit, uh, a spiritual battle that you don't even realize that you're in. So when we have repeated um, circumstances that seem to be centered around, I'm thinking of my uh, my area with the destruction of the family in my area, which is almost complete and absolute. And then us being having five miscarriages in a row, there seemed to be a direct correlation between those two things. Matter of fact, we still are battling um, being able to grasp and hold on to young ones in our area. We pray them through, but they're not with they're not staying with us yet. They're going to. Those things are going to come into play. You know, they're going to be fixed in time. But you start to see a pattern of destruction and and in our case, the, the, in Crittenden County, which is Marion and West Memphis, the, the destruction of the family is almost absolute. Um, it's a very, very bad area when it comes to families surviving. And so, you know, when you have a battle that lines up with that, you start to see spiritual parallels. But I want to take a step back here, too, and I want to say some, introduce a thought that may be um, a little more eye-opening to us. We are primarily spiritual beings. And so because we are primarily spiritual beings, there's a lot more that happens to us that has spiritual aspects than we would like to think. We would like to try to separate our life from our spiritual life. But the truth is that's not the case. We are spiritual beings. Everything we do has a spiritual aspect. Therefore, every time you pray, you are doing spiritual things whether you understand it or not and so i want to ask you um i now i know a little bit 
because Brian and I was on a car ride together and you were on speakerphone. We talked for almost an hour the first time that we, we got introduced to one another. But what is um, one of the biggest spiritual battles you've ever dealt with? Um, if you don't mind going into that, uh, I mean, I, you've told us quite a bit of stories. But for the people who don't quite believe in the supernatural, I want you to explain a little bit of the things that you've went through because you've shared quite a bit with Brian and I, but I want you to share something that, you know, people can really grasp onto and understand the the realness of the supernatural. So when we were uh, praying over going to Marion, um, I originally had said no. My wife encouraged me to think about it, and so I began to pray over it, and so it became something that grew in my heart. Um, and it was about this time of the year, uh, in late September, early October, there were, um, just after that, coming into Thanksgiving, we were supposed to go to Baton Rouge, uh, during, during Thanksgiving to attend some family events. And then we would just decided to stay over Sunday and go to my wife's uncle's church, uh, Glenn Murphy pastors in center city. And so the, the right around the day that we decided that yes we were going to be there that sunday uh glenn murphy gets a message for that sunday so he gets up in the pulpit that sunday and says the lord's given me a message two weeks ago well my ears perk up because i knew two weeks ago we decided to be there and he's the miracle of the journey is what he called it and it was god would give you a miracle to get you to your miracle and so while he's saying that and saying those words in my head only i asked the lord are you talking to us about Marion? And literally the moment that my mind had the word Marion, as I asked the Lord that, the tongues broke out on the other side of the church. And I had cold chills. And so then the interpretation of the tongues was, listen, listen, listen. The thing that you have purpose to do, go and I will go with you. Well, and I was... I waited till we walked out of the building, and I said to my wife, uh, "We're going to go to Marion. Um, this is beyond the shadow of a doubt." Before that, when because I had been praying about going into global missions, and um, both of us had been aimers, and I was a missionary son, so missions for us was actually a, a good. We like we like missions, and um, so I'm out weed eating my yard. And this is the strangest little miracle I've ever heard of personally. I'm out weed eating my yard and I'm telling the Lord, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go do something. I want to be way more productive for you than I have feel like I have been. And um, so I'm, I'm praying these prayers and the Lord just speaks to me and says, you're going to stay right here in Memphis. I have something for you to do in this area. Well, I got mad at God, and and you know I'll you know I'll be transparent. I'll you know I'll talk to God pretty straightforwardly, um, respectfully, but I'll be candid. And so I just said, Well, Lord, if you're going to make me stay here, you're going to have to help me do whatever it is you want me to do. And so my wife calls me in uh, for supper, and I had we needed about a third of the yard. I had a lot to weed eat. We had a sidewalk, another sidewalk, driveway, lots of grass, lots of strips of grass. They got to be edged on all sides. I was about a third of the way done, and a weed eater kicks into gear while we're eating um, supper. And my wife says, um, Is that 
a weed eater? I said, yeah, it's probably the neighbor across the street. The way his house is positioned towards mine, I can hear everything going on in his house. And so I walk outside after supper, say maybe 20 to 25 minutes, and my entire yard had been weed eaten, edged, trimmed, perfect. Everything was perfect. Well, you know, I've never heard of that. It's like a reverse prank, you know. Instead of rolling your yard, we're going to cut the hedges for you. <laughs> and, so, and so I was um, I was looking across the street, and my neighbor was nowhere to be seen. And when he's done working, he always sat in his chair and cooled off. So I knew it wasn't him. And so I'm, I looked as far as I could down this very straight street on both sides, and there was nobody anywhere to be seen at all. And I'm just kind of scratching my head like, but you know what is the significance of this well as i'm finishing up what i've been doing the lord speaks to me and says you go start the work and i'll finish it and then now that's been years ago and so i have been praying over some things because we're we're trying to move to a whole different level and uh, as we're moving to it you're trying to grow the work there i have been burdened by you know lord what does it mean that you're going to finish what i start how does that work well i go to camp meeting and i promise you aaron bounds is preaching on starting more churches and aaron bounds says to me it says to the congregation as because i've been praying over this he says you know the lord has said you start the you start the work and i'll finish the work and i i was floored <laughs> Pastor Flowers, I got to tell you right now, man, if God were to do something like that to me, I don't know what would happen, bro. I mean, that's pretty significant. What what did you do after that? Did you have chill bumps? Did you ever get did you think, "Man, I got to stop questioning this?" What 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 was your mindset after that? You need some confirmations like that every once in a while when you're um when you're walking in faith because there are going to be days in the future where the devil's really opposing you and it feels like your work is not going anywhere. Um, and you go back to those days and you go back to the supernatural aspects of it. And they are what carry you forward because, you know, if God be for us, who can be against us? But the way we know best that God is for us is when he speaks up and he shows up. Um, and so, that's that's why I think he does it. Uh, I wasn't. It didn't bother me that he did it. I was. Uh, if anything, I'm flattered that he cared enough. To, if that's the right word, uh, I'm touched that he cared enough to speak to me and, and then to show me something. Sure. So you've told us about a time where God really showed you. Tell us about a dark time where you didn't know if God was still there probably when we you know lost the fourth or fifth baby in a row it just you know the church wasn't growing and we couldn't have a, a child and Eve and I both are very much in the family and um, you just you kind of retreat into a you know a wait a wait on the Lord kind of situation and you just put your head down and um, you know that's why it was so important during that time we had friends here and that were ministering to us and encouraging us. But then there was, you know, the service where Brother Sanders spoke that word to my wife. And, and so you have to, you have that in-between time where you, you're you wondering why God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? And, and I don't know that we'll ever know fully why he allows these things to happen. But I know that um, 
he does, and I know that they start to make sense. But I don't think some things make sense until we get to heaven. Um, some things are kind of like Job's situation. Um, you know, Job, Job, it made some sense to Job, but, you know, it, he, it made more sense to Job after he understood that Satan and God had had a conversation in heaven about all this. And he probably didn't know that in the middle of what he was going through. But then somewhere towards the end, he did because it's in the narrative. So somehow he knew that this had been about God and Satan and Satan being shown up by God because Job wasn't going to curse God and die. You know, though he slay me still, will I follow him? We have had uh, a couple of glitches going on with the computer through this podcast. Brian, this never and happens it, until we start talking about and stuff. It, and it's always whenever we start talking about spiritual stuff, we start having stuff that cuts out. Uh, whenever, whenever we had to stop for just a moment here a, a few moments ago, uh, we were talking kind of off the air about how the devil works in North America in a very subtle way. But on the mission field, it's a very demonstrative kind of way. Uh, In order to take the conversation uh, to when your family went to Madagascar, what were some of those, you know, uh, the demonic demonstrations that you guys would have to deal with? uh, And how how frequently on a basis was it that you guys encountered uh, either devil-possessed people, demonic attacks against your family or against the church or uh, any practical stories that stands out to you from those years whenever you look back and you and and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the the enemy really is fighting and that, that there is an enemy out there that's possessing people and at work uh, trying to oppose the work of God so before we ever got there uh, Denzel and Frida Richardson were the initial missionaries in and they were prayer warriors and so they had there there's a book that they wrote about all this that you can find if you look hard enough about madagascar and she details in there pretty thoroughly that there were weeks and weeks of prayer just prayer where but what's happening is god's establishing his kingdom through prayer Uh, there's a reason that jesus said pray your your kingdom come and so um we didn't run into the same degree of demonic situations as what they did uh, Brother Jerry Richardson, their son, who was also who's also now a retired missionary from there, has the best you know has better stories than I do. But while I was there, um, there were two different times that my dad would be gone preaching, probably for one of his Bible school students, and my mom would be maybe speaking at um, a ladies' day or one time I think she was speaking at a youth service on the campground. And there was a guy that was clearly devil-possessed that came. He knew when my dad wasn't there, and he would come to interrupt the service. And so it was the same uh, harassment and trying to get to my mom on the platform and then moving him out of the building. And so the second time was on the campground. And as they moved him out of the building, they took him, they got him out, I walked out the side door because I was curious as to whether or not he was going to go down to where some of our ladies were cooking and harm them. He didn't. He walked past them, and then I literally saw him float up the hill. Uh, He went up probably a 40- or 50-foot hill and just kind of, 
you know, did it in like three seconds. Just, whoop, and there he was. And it was, I couldn't believe my own eyes. And then he turned around and he started hexing the church with signs and stuff. But, and I've heard people say, well, you've got to pray through when they hex. And no, in my opinion, you don't. I don't think hexes and curses on a church work. I think that's what the blood of Jesus Christ is all about. And so I don't run around personally scared if somebody wants to hex me or curse me because greater is in me is he that's in me than he that's in the world but that was probably one of the seeing that man float up the hill let you know that there was definitely some demonic activity going on so tony he's told i don't i can't remember how many times he's told it on the podcast oh maybe you haven't told it on the podcast maybe it's something that, what's that about the lady that was in the, in the church whenever you were growing up uh, that dropped to the floor and slid it like a snake up to the pool. Yeah, so, bro, let me tell you this story real quick. Um, I learned at a very, very young age that spirits are real and demonic spirits are real, but God's real as well. Um, I remember I was, had to be six, maybe seven at the time. Uh, we were having a revival service, and for some reason it was at night. I think it was on—I want to say it was on a Saturday or Sunday night. I can't remember exactly. But we had this lady, um, and this is so far past removed, I, I, I'm, I'm fine telling it. But they, there was this lady that uh, stood up in the back of our church, and I remember this specifically because my Sunday school teacher was actually holding me and I don't know why, because I was so old. I don't know if she was holding me at the time or if I was just looking back there. But uh, I watched this lady in the very back pew of the church on the right-hand side. She stood up, and then all I remember seeing her collapse straight to the floor. And I was like, okay, this is weird. And, you know, many pe- I tell this story to many people, and for some reason it's hard for them to understand it because— you know, it's it's not something you see every day. But she she took this path to the to the pulpit in the front of the church um, that was snake like and underneath the pews. <laughs> now my dad has confirmed this story with Brian because my dad was there at the time, and you know, I, it's just when you hear stories like that, it's like to have aff- it's like good to have affirmation for that. But she slithered down through people's in between people's legs all the way up to the front and grabbed hold of the preacher's feet. And I'll never forget, my pre- the preacher at the time said, Sunday school teachers, take your Sunday school kids and get them out of here. And if you're staying in this, pl- or in this sanctuary, you better be prayed up. You better be ready for what's about to take place. And all I remember is whenever my Sunday school, I was scared to death. This is when I know for sure my Sunday school teacher was holding me because I was watching the front as she was carrying me out. My back was to the direction she was carrying me, and uh, I watched my pastor begin to, to 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 start to fight that battle, and that's that's how I learned at a very early age that you know that's real, and I want to make sure that my life is full of what's supposed to be there instead of empty. So it's just not just anything can come in, and that's why I think it's very important to be you know full of the Holy Ghost and be full of you know Jesus Christ because if not, you can just let, allow anything to fill you up. That's true. You know, and that's that's the story Brian was referring to is, man, I, I learned that in early age. You know, there's just some stuff you don't mess with. That's yeah, that's very true. You you know, you want to be full of the Spirit. That's, we've been told that in the New Testament over and over again. Let me ask you something. What What is, what is the importance, in your opinion, of 
staying connected to the truth whenever it comes to spiritual mm-hmm. battles. Jesus said it, uh, they that worship the Father must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so if you're not connected to the truth, you can't really worship the Father in the way that he's purposed you to worship him. Um, you know, if when you talk about, why, some people ask, why is the oneness of God so important? Well, the first time I sat through a chapel service of a different denomination and I heard them say, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. You know, my ears kind of perked up like, what? And, and, and then they would pray to the Holy Spirit about certain issues. And I thought, man, that had never crossed my mind that you would think about things that way, even if you were not oneness. But there are people who think that they need to pray to, pray to different persons in the Godhead for different issues if they believe that there are persons in the Godhead. Of course, we know the Bible says twice that Jesus is the express image of God's person, not persons. And so when you're talking to Jesus, you're talking to God. And so that separate right there, that little bit of truth makes our relationship to God spot on as opposed to being confused. Can you imagine trying to have a relationship with a committee of three people that you're trying to be connected to intimately, like you're really trying to build this deepest relationship? So these things matter. Um, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're none of His, it says in Romans chapter 8. And so, you know, when you're trying to live for God and you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're going to have a really hard time living for somebody who's not your dad. Uh, it goes on to say you've been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And you can be a servant to somebody all day, but when you become their son, the degree of intimacy and relationship is magnified fully and if there's anything i take as a side note from the prodigal son for example once you're a son you're always a son and so these are little nuggets of truth that build into my relationship with him i can walk out of here go into the sanctuary if there's somebody in there and talk to my dad and that's 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 an absolute truth and you know i don't worry about talking to my dad and his son and my dad or his or in his spirit i just talk to i talk to him and these things matter because if you get the revelation of, of the fact that we are sons, beloved, now are we sons, then your relationship with God, your confidence that he hears you is magnified significantly. You know, I, I had a good, I have a good dad. He's still with us. And uh, I try to be a good dad. And I look at my kids and just the confidence that I see when I relate to them comforts me that, you know, they're hopefully they're going to grow up and be healthy kids. But um, when somebody doesn't understand all that and they're trying to relate to a God that is three persons in their head, it has to, it has to really mute your prayers, I would think. You know, I, I've never thought that way. But the, the truth is knowing the truth, knowing him, really brings us intimately into connection with him. And, you know, and these two topics are not separated because once you're really d- deeply connected to him, the supernatural becomes something that's just kind of normal. You know, it's normal to hear his voice. It's not abnormal to hear his voice. It should be something expected. I, I'm, I've kind of had my gut full of Pentecostals who don't believe we can hear the voice of God. I, I don't, I, I don't think that should be um, a thing for oneness Pentecostal people to ever 
be like, well, you know, certain people can't hear the voice of God, but they're full of the Holy Ghost. I'm like, I don't think that's possible. There may be periods of time where he withdraws his voice from you, but overall, you should be able to hear from God. Now, I'm not saying you should go buck your pastor. That's not the kind of voice of God we're talking about here. I'm just saying you should be able to hear from God about you and your stuff and your relationship and your life. I want to ask you a question about that then. If someone, for me, as an example, I'll take the blunt of this. Say I don't feel like God spoke to me in a long time. Now, I, I can tell you a definitive moment that God did speak to me, and I'm, I was crystal clear on it, and it almost scared me, to be honest with you. And I, I remember telling somebody, I was like, have you ever, I, I started a conversation like this, Brother Flowers, I said, have you ever heard the voice of God speak so audible into your life? And I was expecting them to be like, yeah, well, did that happen to you? And the person said no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had things like that happen. You know, so what what do you tell the people? Are, is the prayer life just not what it should be? Is it that they're they're not where they should be spiritually? Is it they're not fasting and praying? You know, what is what what would be the cause of them to say no? Well, I don't. Yeah, it's fasting and prayer and a lack of the word. God sounds. Um, a whole lot like the Bible. <laughs> if that, I'm not saying he sounds like the King James. I'm saying he is his word, and so um, his word is him, and so he reveals his nature and his characteristics through his word. He'll never violate his word, and so the more you learn about the Bible, the more you learn about God. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't speak outside of the Bible because he does speak outside of the Bible to us personally and directly. No, that should never. That does not trump the word of God at all cannot trump the Word of God. It should be absolutely in agreement with the Word of God. But God gave us a spirit. Jesus said it was going to be a counselor. Well, that means it gives counsel. <laughs> so if it's not giving counsel, then we're probably muting the impact of the spirit in our lives. And what would cause that? A lack of faith would be the primary thing that would cause that. You have not because you ask not. I talked to the church. I was preaching a few weeks ago, and we're going through. Um, we need a building, you know, and we're still renting. We rent. A, we have a nice little storefront. Uh, it's not your stereotypical appearing storefront at all. It, it, it looks like a sanctuary. It's small, and we need we need to get a building. And I've told them. I said, you know, I'm going to bring this to something in some of our lives. Some of us don't seem to have testimonies, and I want you to have a testimony. If you don't have a testimony, I'm asking you to start asking God for a testimony mm. where you've got you've got proof. You got to be careful when you say stuff like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> why not? I mean, you know, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is people. How can I? I really want to be want careful. A testimony with no test. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to be political, Brian. You just busted it out for me. <laughs> well, but you know, I this life is just temporary, and then we're moving into real life after this. And so we need to get through this prelude as best we can, uh, as close to God as we can, so that we can really live in the next life. You know, if we would change the way we think, we grab, we hold way too closely to this life. And, and God never intended for it to be that way. We should do our best with this life, but we really don't start living to the other side. Then, then there's going to be a whole lot of, our flesh is going to be completely removed from us. That means our fallen nature is going to be completely removed from us. And we're going to be able to live in a, a way that's unrestricted like we are now. Now we are seeing through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And so I want people to start looking in that glass really hard and start to see what they can see now because 
once when, when you have enough experience and enough testimonies and somebody comes up to you like my church of christ professor when i was in freed hardeman and said well god just doesn't heal we know this through the scripture i just looked at him and said you're too late bud you know i've been healed twice you know the mass on my back was just removed instantly in prayer pardon <laughs> pardon that pop and no bring but, it on man but then uh but then also you know we were in a car wreck when I was 12, a, a motorhome wreck, and, and the best evidence we have, and of course this is an emergency, I've got blood squirting out of my left eye socket, and the paramedics on the scene diagnosed me as having lost an eyeball. They were walking around looking for the eyeball on the ground. It was about a 30-minute drive over to, I think it was Atlantic City, Iowa, or something like that. And so here we go. We're driving, and my, my dad is in the back with me. He's praying. My mom looks at the man on the front seat driving and says, is he going to make it? She said, lady, I'm not, I don't know. And they're putting oxygen on me. They think my back has been broken. Um, I'm gushing blood from this eye socket. And so she just gets down on her knees and turns around in the front seat. Passenger side begins to pray. When they get me to the hospital, they, I'm, I'm, you know, they're talking to the hospital the whole time. They're waiting on me to get there. They're, they're prepared to try to save my life is their approach. They drag me over to the, uh, they get me off of the stiff board onto the uh, uh, emergency room bed, and um, they start going down a list of procedures. And the first, and the doctor says, first things first. Let's uh, let's force open this eye socket and see what we're dealing with. And when they did, there was an eyeball in there, and it hadn't been there as best they could tell at the paramedic at the scenes at the scene. The paramedics could not tell that there was an eyeball there. And when you got blood gushing out of a socket, that means you know it's there's not a lack going, thereof. Right. There's something. It's not going around the eyeball. It's coming out, squirting out. And so um, you know, there's the eyeball. And then they, they started checking me for broken bones. There were no broken bones. And so basically all they did in the ER was pull all the glass out of my face because I had shards all up and down the left side of my face. And they pulled it all out. And then after they did everything else, they sent me to the emergency uh, room waiting room. I literally laid in the couch and waited everybody else to get out because it turns out that when God decided to move in that situation, uh, both of my parents had whiplash, and they, they we probably should have prayed for them more <laughs> because I, could, I was in the ER waiting room waiting on everybody else uh, watching TV, you know. So, I want to play devil's advocate for a second, and we kind of covered it a little bit earlier, but I really want you to elaborate on this. Um, I'm coming to you, Pastor Flowers, and I'm, I'm looking for um, – What's the word? Consultation. How about that? And you're telling me my prayer life isn't up to date or I'm not fasting properly. or um, But I'm here to tell you I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm giving, I'm faithful, I'm reading my Bible, I'm doing whatever it takes. And I feel like God is just not in my life. He's not present for me to, to lean upon. Bad things are happening to my family. I'm struggling. I can't hardly make ends meet what do you tell that person i they're, they're they feel like god is just completely abandoned and i know you talk about how sometimes we don't understand stuff until we get to heaven it's like a job situation we talked about that a little bit earlier in the podcast but i specifically want you to dig a little deeper into that because you 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 said that um you could audibly hear god's voice if you're doing everything properly and i I agree with you. I, I, I feel like I've had an encounter with an angel just this week. 
I'm not going to go deep into that, but I went through an event this past week, and um, there was a, there just so happened to be someone right there. Mm-hmm. And whenever all the realization came and um, people started coming around after what, what, had, what had happened, that person was gone. Yeah. I can't explain that. I can't I, I don't understand that. But I want you to speak on why we kind of went over this with Pastor McCall. Why does bad things happen to good people? Uh you know, you have to you have to discern there's no there's no clinical answer here. Um in you could talk to one person and they could be telling you, "Well, you know, I'm praying all the time." And I had somebody tell me that. And so we literally were going through a men's Bible study, and, and they, they prefaced the lesson by saying, well, I, I, I pray every day. And so, you know, I just get my prayers out there, and I'm done. That's pretty much all there is to it, right? And so, well, no, that's not even, you, that's not what prayer is, really. Prayer is not just me getting out my request. Prayer is me, as Jude said, praying in the Spirit and uh, praying in the understanding both. I gotta be able to do both. And so one person could say that and they could be, um, what could there really could be a situation where they've never learned, they've never applied not walking in their flesh. Somebody else could say it and God could be putting them through a trial to build their faith. And so you have, you have to discern uh, what you're dealing with with the person because there's not a one size fits all clinical approved answer that you know they teach at urshan college that you can just write down and this is how this is done one person is literally fighting a battle uh spiritually and if they'll continue on the path they're on they will topple a stronghold in in their life or in their family's life another person is saying that possibly even with a sincere heart but they really haven't understood uh what prayer is or you know how to deny the flesh or um, that their faith is very low, you know, or that they don't believe that God does certain things. You know, I've dealt with people who don't believe that God speaks to people. Well, if you're if you're gonna if you believe that, then you really should shut down uh, prayer because at that point, prayer is just it's you're talking to God. Yeah. yeah, you know, God, you're talking to God, but it's a one way conversation. This this is not a uh, this is not a one way conversation. This is and about since we're talking about prayer. One of the things I would ask anybody who's saying those things, I would immediately ask them, do you listen or are you doing all the talking? Do you ever wait on the Lord? They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You know, you wait on the with your mind, with your heart. Because I've asked God questions and, and gotten answers um, half a day later, two months later. You know, when I went on AIM, my dad had a heart attack. And so the year after a a bypass situation for a bypass patient, that next year is very important that they don't tear their sternum. And so the doctor talked to him very strongly about not stressing his body physically. And so the Lord spoke to me and spoke to my heart and said, when your dad goes back, you are to go with him. Well, he hadn't decided at that point he was going back. But when he decided he was going back, I walked over to him and said, I'm going with you. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be your physical laborer for the next year, and so. But when I did, there was a voice that spoke to me. It was not the Lord, but it said, "I'll kill you in Africa," 
And so I spent months afraid of, you know, what could happen because there's a lot of things that can happen to you. And so then towards the end, the Lord spoke to me one night in prayer and said, are you dead yet? And I said, uh, I, no, you know, why are you asking me this? He said, you know, you can learn from this that there are many voices in the world and none are without significance. In other words, there are other spirits that can speak to you besides the Holy Ghost and can lie to you. That's very documented in Scripture. Look up, you know, Micaiah the prophet who was prophesying to Jehoshaphat and Ahab's son. And the Lord, there's a spirit that says to Yahweh, I'll be, I'll be a lying spirit in the prophet's tongue. And so you can be lied to by spirits that are trying to shut down the move of God uh, or what God's wanting you to do, or in my case, scare you out of going to Africa. All these things can happen, and, you, you know, you have to go back and, and be, be a faith that God is moving on your behalf and that these other spirits, they can just be bald-faced liars. And not everything sure, you're going to yeah. hear in the spirit realm is going to be from God. Brian, I want to apologize to you because I feel like I'm taking up a lot of the mic time here, but I got another question I want to ask you. (laughs) I got another question I want to ask you about this. Um, You've been in Africa, and you've been in the United States. As Americans greedy, and let me ask you this, or or tell you why I'm asking you this, I should say. Um, I feel like Americans pray over um, what's important to them at that time or their wants, not their needs. Um, and you see all these massive revivals happening over in, say, Africa, and you don't necessarily see that here. I want you to explain why. Well, you know, I was walking through Aldi today since we're, we're up here and we're, uh, you know, kind of having to walk at a slow pace. I was picking up what will be supper for us, and the thought came to my mind again today. I was reminded of this. In America, we pray things like, God help me as I go through my day to win these battles. Well, what battles are you trying to win through your day? Because I don't know that God really is, gets really excited about emails from FedEx or, you know, cooking food at Taco Bell. I mean, I, I don't think that, I think we, we pray over here, God help me as I do my thing. And I think we, if we begin to adjust our prayers to God help me do your thing, you know, through me, because that's what I'm supposed to be a vessel. I'm supposed to be a subject of the kingdom of God, and he is the king, and I, he is the sovereign, and so I belong to him. And so that's not a democracy concept. Americans have a hard time with that because we don't like a president. We don't even call him President Obama or President Trump. We just call him Obama or Trump because we're going to badmouth him. You wouldn't do that in a lot of countries. You wouldn't dare do that in a lot of countries. Um, and so when we relate to God, we can't relate to him like we relate to our uh, government. We have to relate to God as a sovereign king. And we're about, we're about his business. That's what Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Well, that wasn't just for Jesus. He's the firstborn of many brethren. And all of us are his brethren in that sense. And so we should be about his business, not him about our business. Does that make sense? We pray for, yeah. do my business for me, help me do my business well. We should, we should be praying, Lord, what is your business in my life, and how can I do it well? Because his business in your life is going to be soul-based and character-based and quality-based. It's not going to be about money. You know, God takes care of money for his people. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. But 
and money matters, but it's not God's primary focus. He's not afraid. I'll just testify to it. So we're having to stay in a hotel here, and because you know the. If anybody's looking for a business, open a hotel in Jonesboro because it's woefully underserved when it comes to hotels right now. And so we're staying at Candlewood Suites. This is to protect my wife's life. But while we're staying there, you know, the finances became a question. And then here comes God. And, I, and you know, I testified to a friend of mine and said, I'm, I'm going to put her in a hotel and we're going to rack up a bill here. And God, if it's God, if it's in the middle of this, he's going to take care of the bill. Watch. And so he has, you know, so far... There, uh, the North American Missions has been generous to us and helped us some. But then a friend of my parents and people who basically raised me, they sent us a very blessed offering, a, a significant offering uh, this week to help pay for our expenses. That was Tuesday. Wednesday, a man walks into this, the, the donors who gave me this money, the man walks into his business and in one transaction, he made a $10,000 profit off of this one transaction the day after he So you're he telling me that up. God takes care of those who take care of others. Yes. God has millionaires. God has millionaires who are where they are because they are, they are uh, vessels that not only receive from God, they send out from God. They're extremely liberal givers. They bless. And so... There are people, you know, you, you look it up. There's scriptures that talk about people who are, who are giving. They have the gift of giving. And what do you, that's what that is. But then that's what they do, you know. They, they come along and someone like me has a challenge, and so we're fighting this battle, and here comes the body of Christ behind me, you know, saying we're going to step up to the plate, and we're going to, and I don't deserve that. I, I, I have no, I absolutely have zero deserving of that. that. That's not anything, I don't merit that. But he takes care of me. That's that's just that's how he operates. He's going to take care of his people. He's going to back them up. He's going to back his word up. And when you've got him on your side, you can expect angels. You can expect things to show up where God is, you know, manifesting himself and doing things. And uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't. I don't think God cares about the show at all. I, I don't think it means a thing to God. I think he lets us see at times what really is going on. You watch when Elisha is praying for his prophet, his servant, I mean. He he does not pray God put angels or put the war, the armies on the hills, you know, the, the, that are back there behind them when they're surrounded in the little city. He says, God, let him see what's going on in the spirit realm. And so when his eyes are open, he sees what's already been there all along. So that there are angels in this room right now. I have no doubt about it. Uh, there are angels that are with my wife right now. There are angels that are at the church that I pastor right now, that even though I'm not there, they're there. And you walk into a church that has a praying membership, you feel a difference the moment you walk into the room mm. because that's, that's, that's what God does. He, he's responding to us. Absolutely. So how much total time have you spent in, uh, in, in outside of the United States about? Uh, just over five years. Just over five years? Yes. Um, when you look at the apostolic movement, since you've spent time outside of the United States, are there times where you see our structure or, the, or the, our methods and you say, that's not Bible, that's North America? 
every culture has things that are not Bible that they're a part of that culture. Uh, the fact that we elect pastors was not done in the New Testament. That, that is how we do it. It's the structure we have, so we work with it. Uh, I would say to anybody electing a pastor, pray, 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 pray that God will speak to his church. You know, because in the if you read what Timothy was told by Paul, he said, appoint pastors. I think he said elders, but that's what that was, was pastors. You appoint them. In other words, again, we're not dealing with a democracy. We're dealing with a kingdom and the kingdom of God. And there are things like that everywhere that um, you, what really probably is the base of that, because I don't want to dump on the North American church. I'm a big proponent. I'm proud of the North American church in a lot of ways. I'm thankful for her. She's a unique church because she has been given the finances to evangelize the world. And, you know, I was talking about that just yesterday with my mom, as a matter of fact. You know, we gave $3.1 million at General Conference this week to North to to Worldwide Missions, $700,000 to North American Missions. And somebody said, well, that's, that you know, that's not equal, but it's fairly proportionate to what we're trying to do. We're not just trying to build churches in North America. We're trying to evangelize the, the world. Reach the gospel to everybody, absolutely. Yes. Yes, and so, and we are, you know, and so I don't, I, you're not going to hear, now I get aggravated at people, my friends are going to hear this and laugh because they know how aggravated I can get at somebody who's, especially if I feel like they're operating out of their flesh, I'll have a, you know, I'll have a headache and my blood pressure will be 200 over 150 and I'm dealing with somebody that's, you know, carnal in their nature, but I don't, I don't dump on the North American church. I went to Youth Congress this year. I was blessed to take our very first youth group, you know, from our church. It was awesome. And I saw kids and young, young adults uh, that were more modest in their dress and their approach than even my generation was. Uh, I saw kids that are more consecrated than my generation was. I saw kids, young, young adults, there's just a few years younger than me, some of them, but I saw people who were focused on the kingdom of God. Um, and I'm very happy with what I see because what I see in North America, there, there's going to be some people who walk away from the truth. There always is going to be. But I think that we're getting ready to see a bigger influx of people coming to the truth than we are people walking away from the truth. And, and part of the reason I believe that is because we just ha we have people who are full of the Holy Ghost that are ministering in our pulpits. And when they're not restricted, when they're allowed to do what they need to do, and when the church operates and responds to that, you're going to see uh, a reawakening. I'm, I'm not a negative. I don't, I, I get aggravated. I told some people the other day that are just, you know, the North America, it's about over for the United States, and it's all going to come to an end. And I said, I wish that God would let you have what you wish on the rest of us and let the rest of us have revival <laughs> because I want revival. And I, I, I'm just an optimist that God is going to do this. I don't believe I'm just an optimist. I believe God's getting ready to blow open the doors. People are coming to the truth. The, the evangelical community has a time limit on how long they're going to be here and you're either going to go liturgical towards the catholic type churches or you're going to go towards the pentecostal type churches and there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are coming to the truth that's where we're headed pastor flowers i want to maybe walk on a little bit of thin ice here but i don't care um i want none of us in this room thin enough to walk on thin ice <laughs> <laughs> i want to i want to 
I want to be careful how I say it, but I don't care how it comes out. Pastor Flowers, I want you to speak to the people of the dangers of operating not in the spirit, but of the flesh behind a pulpit. Ooh. You know, it, God has a lot of mercy, and he covers uh, a lot of our stupidity, but we are absolutely foolish to walk in the pulpit in our flesh. Um, I pray many times, God, you need to take over today because, you know, I've been frustrated and I've had some situations I'm very unhappy with. I need you to help here because I don't want to operate out of my flesh. I don't want to have an axe to grind. I don't want to commit somebody because I've got to preach the truth. You know, I've, I've got to preach the truth, and that means I'm going to confront people. You know, I tell the church, uh, they, is he preaching to me? Of course I'm preaching to you. You're in here, right? I mean, you, you're wanting to hear from God. We have people who pray, God, speak to me. And so the pastor gets up and reads their mail, and they're like, no, God, I mean, speak to me through somebody else. Well, <laughs> what do you think God's Why do you to? come to church? I'm just going <laughs> to stop right here. Why do you come to church if you don't want to get your toes stepped on? You know, God, have Take your... me to heaven. Don't give me a happy meal. <laughs> God, God, have your way in my life. And pastor's oh, up there saying, you need to preach more. <laughs> He's just mad at people. Well, well, he may be mad at people, but that's probably not what's happening here. If he's pushing you to spiritual things, then he's doing what he's supposed to do. And so, you know, that that's the, we need to get our flesh out of the way. And the only way you can do that is praying in the spirit and letting the spirit pray through you and denying your flesh. That's why fasting works, because it it subtracts from the flesh. It pulls down the strength of the flesh. And we need we need to be there. I mean, it when we when churches the revival can be this simple for anybody. Get the flesh under control in the church, and then revival can come. Because when the flesh is brought down and the spirit is sought after, one God said, "If you seek me, you're going to find me." And so when the church begins to seek God, it God's going to respond. And the only th but He said, "No flesh will get glory in my presence." And so he a lot of times pulls himself back when our flesh gets in the way. I'm over here battling myself right now. My feet's going 90 miles an hour. But I'm going to be remiss if I don't ask this question. Why, why are so many preachers more concerned about feel-good sermons than stepping on people's toes? Uh, because they're, well, uh, preachers, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that this doesn't I'm not here to grind axes with preachers I have fought this battle myself um, having people that were there that wanted me to uh, not talk about some issues um, but uh, preachers are human and they some of the hardest days of my life where I have to pre is when I have to preach on things that I know are going to set people off. And I'm so thankful to have a pastor's perspective on this, Brian. Um, I'm glad that... I'm glad that um, you are opening up with us and talking to us a little bit um, because things that you as a pastor deal with, I as a saint will never understand. And I can so easily throw a, a preacher... And I'm, that's not my intentions. I want to make sure that's not everybody knows that's not my intentions. That's listening to this, but I have, but not me. But people have questions on why 
it almost seems like the turn of the generation is we no longer hear that the Lord is coming back. Right. We don't hear that anymore. We hear, I hope you have a blessed day, mm-hmm. a blessed week. God's going to bless you. It just seems like it's turned. You know what I'm saying, Brian? Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm trying to hate on anybody. Absolutely I, not. Every, every pastor has a right, in my opinion, to pastor the church however you seem fit and have the platform look however you want to have it look. But when you see a big move, it seems like, to the stool and the flat table pulpit where it's more like a, a, a dinner table setting. Now, I know there are some great apostolic churches that have been taken on that method, and, and I wish the best every pastor has the right to have however their their church done however they want to have church. Yes. But I see, whenever I see that, I can't help but think that the source of where most of that comes from is because the look is a reflection of what it's like on the inside of the heart of either that minister or that church, where that church has approached ministry in a very casual setting, very non-confrontational, and so they communicate that from the way they do their pulpits. You know, it. I'm thinking about friends of mine that have started churches in outside of the Bible Belt that I'm fairly certain have done some of that, and I don't view them to be compromising truth. Um, I so let's let's talk about that this way. Um, anything can be done in the spirit that can be imitated in the flesh. So, and this comes up in Galatians, okay? This is actually talked about. Paul talks about this. When he talks about the son of the bondwoman and the son of the free woman and how these two cannot coexist and how the son of the bondwoman will always persecute the son of the free woman, like Ishmael mocked Isaac, and it was the mocking of Isaac that caused Sarah to say, put Hagar and Ishmael out because she was not going to allow that persecution to continue. So if you're, you can have one preacher walk up and he can get a flat pulpit and, uh, you know, have Cheerios and be reaching a need in his church that he sees. But then you can have somebody else do it who's trying to maybe mitigate the power of the Word of God, and they're doing it in their flesh. Anything you can do in the spirit will be counterfeited and imitated by the flesh. How do you think the mainstream churches got the music to where they've gotten it to? They've imitated what What we we have been doing. And so what we have done, generally speaking, in the spirit, and I would say say generally speaking, we've done what we've done in the spirit, um, has been imitated in the flesh. And so, you know, I can go uh, preach without a tie and I'm doing it for a acceptable reason in the spirit, but then you know somebody else could be doing it if in the flesh. I know that sounds silly, but anything that can be done in the spirit can be imitated in the flesh, and so you have to discern uh, what is the heart of the person. And so you know ultimately that if you're in a church and that's happening, you know don't don't assume the pastor is going charismatic. Go talk to the pastor. Um, but now if he starts talking about how he's going to change the truth of God's word, you know, there's a charismatic pastor in, in Dallas that literally just got through saying he doesn't preach out of uh, Paul's epistles anymore because Paul was too harsh. Well, um, I couldn't do it, Brian. It, oh, man. I, well, my, my statement, 
My statement to the young man that was underneath that, uh, I said, get out, you're in a pit of vipers. Uh, I mean, I didn't see any reason to say anything else because we're denying the infallibility of the Word of God. Paul's too harsh. Well, hold on. If Paul's too harsh, you got to remember that Paul was probably the person who caused Mark to write the Gospel of Mark, Luke to write the Gospel of Luke. Luke was with Paul, so then Acts is out because Luke wrote Acts. We're, we've lost most of the New Testament um, at that point. So. I want to just interject here and say, find you an apostolic Pentecostal preacher that holds value to the truth. That's right. Do yourself a favor and don't don't go to a church where you're like, I, I don't know about that, but I sure do like this music. If you can find it, when you're, when you're at a church and you there's a voice of truth, there is a voice of the Spirit, and, uh, and you, if you look at the seven churches in Revelation, let's go back to that for a second. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the church. And in, there were people who found themselves in bad situations, and he basically he told them, hold on, overcome, he even said to one of them, I'm not going to add anything in to you because you're going through it, but you just hold on. You hold fast what you've got and overcome, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal. He said to one church, I'm going to deal with Jezebel. You won't have to. I will. And so the saint who feels like they're under fire, you just keep, you just hold to the truth and, and love the Lord your God. Go home and have prayer, and if, if your pastor, you know, is going to fall apart, God's going to take care of you. And you, you, the, it would be wise for all of us to remember we don't lift our hands up against ministry you know, indiscriminately. Uh, you can discreetly remove yourself from the situation if you have to, but I'm not going after pastors because even though I've seen a lot of struggling situations, I have seen more situations where good pastors who are battling what has been handed to them are dealing with saints who just lack understanding and, and need to be patient. That's and exactly pray. what the the pastor at our local assembly is going through. Uh, I'm not going to go into that at all. Um, I mean, if you want to know, I guess go look it up yourself. That's not it's not our job to throw slander at you know prior pastoralships here, but our pastor came into a situation here at the church where he got blamed for stuff that prior gener or prior pastors did you know and it's it's not you need to be very careful who you throw shade at I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna put that out there you need to be very 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 careful who you criticize and why you criticize them because you don't know you don't want also you don't want to mess with the, the anointed of God in your revelation he talks to the angel of the church every time and he says I hold them in my hand you don't want to mess with the star that's held in the hand of God. Yeah. You you don't want to mess with that man. You, that man is trying, and I'm not speaking in self-preservation mode because um, I feel perfectly safe for uh, my congregation loves me and I love them. I'm sure that that wouldn't be 100, percent but I'm I'm betting it's pretty high. And uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and and it and it's just that's. But I'm just speaking to anybody, you know. Pray for that man of God. If, if you feel like he's falling short, why don't you become his bulwark of prayer? Ooh. Why don't you become a second watchman? Not that you're the watchman, but you, you watch and pray for his soul, and you encourage him to be, 
encourage him in prayer. In other words, not talk yeah. to him directly, but pray for the man. Instead of roasting him at your dinner table on Sunday, right? Why don't you go ahead and lift him up? Let's not have pastor du jour. Let's <laughs> let's let's uh, pray you over can those roast men. him at dinner. <laughs> you can for a little while. Instead of having him for dinner, you can have him come over for dinner. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But here, here it is, man. I get so sick and tired of. We've all been guilty of it. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves here. We've all been guilty of it. But I get so sick and tired of holding our pastor accountable for every single little thing. Oh, I don't agree with that carpet color. What was he thinking? He didn't even consider me. Let's all take a vote on the carpet in the church. Let's see how far that goes. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, at our church, when we had to decorate the church, I just brought in an interior designer who was an apostolic and said, uh, Cindy, we're going to do whatever you say. And so then nobody had anything to talk about at all. There you go. And, and so, you know, and, and that that's just how that was. And But anybody who walks through this church and says anything about the decorations, um, this is a gorgeous church. <laughs> you, you, they've done a tremendous job here. They, there's nothing to be ashamed of at all here. And so, shout out first lady. And, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And, and speaking of that, you know, pastors' wives are the most precious commodity and asset that probably exists because they, um, they absolutely keep that pastor sane when he is going through some challenges and situations. And I've woken up in the middle of the night and had my wife praying for me, and, you know, praying, knowing I was going through challenging situations. And there's Eve, you know, praying for me. And, and so, you know, those pastor's wives are, they're probably the real angel of the church. Right. And I, <laughs> I definitely want to give a plug for first ladies of the church because Amen. we we see, we don't see. Right. I'm going to rephrase that. We don't see what that pastor goes through and what he has to go home to at night. Mm -hmm. We don't understand that that pastor may be having a bad day already. Then he's got to come up here and deal with with some of this saint's nonsense. And then he's got to go home and deal with real family matters. You know, we really need to hold up our pastor and his wife in our prayers. You know, and a lot of it's not nonsense. I, I don't want to just there there. I have seen saints and I, you know, I've I've, I've wept with them. And I've seen them suffer, and I, and and then all, and, and go to your pastor when you need him. That's what he's there for. Matter if you go to him first. You oh might. yeah, now I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood here. No, yeah, I, I'm saying he's dealing with stuff that, oh well, come see me at the hospital. I got an abscess tooth. Yeah, that yeah, and <laughs> it's, but you, but you're right about the wife. She she is his uh, bulwark and she's his support. And uh, if you do anything, when you pray for your, when you pray, pray for your pastor and his wife, because really all you're doing is blessing yourself because, you know, you're, you're building them up and, and they're going to be able to minister more effectively. One of the things that has been the most to me uh, is I have people who are going to listen to this podcast, actually, who pray for me on a daily basis and, uh, and they don't know how much it means to me that they pray for me on a daily basis um, because it is a protection and, it, and it's I can tell you there have been times where there was a more a stronger move of the Holy Ghost probably than what I merited on my own and I knew it came through somebody else's prayer and uh, and it, that's just you know that, that's what the body's for the body's here to uh, to lift each other up. We need to get out of the mindset that it's the pastor and his wife that does ministry alone. We are all called to do the ministry of the body. 
we absolutely all have a place to play, a role to play inside of ministry. And one thing that we wanted to have you on, Brother Flowers, to talk about is different things with the giftings of the Spirit. And spiritual environments is one of the things we talked about. And we've talked about a little bit of it before uh, we've gotten to this point. But I want to break it down to an individual that's out there that is feeling led into a ministry. And they have a passion or a desire for the gifts of the Spirit. And the Bible talks about how uh, to pursue the best gifts. I would like to get some advice from you. What are the practical ways that someone can begin to pursue the gifts of the Spirit, to be used by the Lord in the Spirit? And uh, can I ask you one question before we really get into that? Have you ever had a spiritual vision? Yes, I have. Um, how does that How does that work? Is it do you actually? Is it something you kind of? Is it in your mind that you see it? Is it something like your eyes are like taken over and you can actually like physically kind of see it? How does that work? I was standing at the pulpit uh, Wednesday night of the camp meeting that I couldn't go to because my wife was getting ready to have Everett. And I had had the church pray for camp meeting. And as I was standing there, praying for camp meeting all of a sudden I could see the camp meeting service like I was standing in the back of the camp meeting uh, and it wasn't a real long time it was just for a couple of seconds um, but I knew I told the church I, I said God's heard our prayers you know he and, and there's no doubt in my mind that there are thousands of people who pray for camp meetings so there's always those things happening somewhere. So that was one simple one. I, I've had, uh, you know, different ways that God, when God, most of the time when God talks to me, it is a thought that's deposited in my head that did not come from me. And uh, I know it didn't come from me because I'm not smart enough to think that way. And, um, you know, there was one time I had a really small thing going on. I was basically trying to do a ministry and I couldn't afford to do it anymore and I went to the Lord I got on my knees and said I I don't know what to do next we literally can't afford to do this anymore and the Lord gave me three steps and said if you'll do these three things this will happen and I mean it happened exactly like what the Lord said it would happen like so my as far as the general question of maybe how to operate in the gifts um, don't be afraid to operate in the gifts. We, we, you know, the Bible says something that we uh, we shut down all the time. Disp uh, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying. But you let somebody stand up in our church with a prophecy, and I'm afraid that there's a significant portion of the church that looks at them and thinks they're full of pride. Well, I think that's why Paul wrote that. And, you know, so... If it's a true prophecy, guess what? It's going to come to pass. If it's not, it won't. Uh, but let's not be afraid of, of speaking out and saying something, you know? And there's nothing in the Bible that says that what you say has to sound like the King James Version. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of funny, you know, we, we talk like this, on, on, but if we were, you know, prophesying, it would be, thus and verily I say unto thee, and you know, why do we do that? Do you think God spoke in King James English? No. You know, he probably did back then, but no. <laughs> but not today, you know. So he doesn't it, it, it very the, make it simple, make it real. Make it to where 
you know, when you're, and you can say, you know, I don't, I'm not real confident in myself yet, but I feel very distinct impression that God wants to do this. And so do it. Can I interject <laughs> here and ask you a question? Because it's something that, that I think a lot about, and, and it's one of those things that I'm kind of torn on, uh, what is the right answer? Let's say someone feels like they have a word or they feel like they have the interpretation of a tongue. And so they give that. And if it is not, like you said, either it's going to come to pass or it isn't. If it's one of those things that's not going to come to pass because it was not really from God, does that make them a false prophet? Or does that just make them a sincere person that tried, but they, they were hearing the wrong voice? But it doesn't make them a false prophet or bad. It just means they're not as mature as they could be. But if so, if, if it's the, the former, not the latter, how can someone ever learn what is the right voice unless they get it wrong a few times? I don't think you're a false prophet because you, you miss something. Um, I think that a false prophet, in the Bible, a lot of the false prophets were people for hire. They were... Uh, you know, go back again. Another another great example is Jehoshaphat and Ahab's son, who skips my mind his name. Uh, there's false prophets there. Uh, there were false prophets on Mount Carmel. Uh, the man who pro who the unnamed prophet, the young prophet who prophesies against uh, Jeroboam and the golden calves, uh, was interrupted by a false prophet, an old man that was a false prophet. Um, so they, they can be seen and heard of, but I don't think when one of our dear, sweet uh, Christians comes along and they miss it a little bit, that we need to drag them out and stone them. Uh, I think we need, you know, pastor is going to come along and encourage them, and, and they're going to learn from their mistakes. You know, I'm so glad that when I was 25 and, you know, and I heard a voice say, I'm going to kill you in Africa, that I didn't die you know but that was a voice that I heard that was not from the Lord you know it was a threatening voice and I didn't but I, I, I persevered until I heard otherwise and so and, and, and I learned from that and so we hear some things at times that are not from God but but God's voice has a peace to it that passes understanding and it has a wisdom to it that's divine and it just makes sense that's my best answer but no don't please don't somebody you know if they're trying to exhort and encourage don't don't tear them down so so what else would you encourage someone you said don't be afraid to be used what else is there so if you want to be used in the gifts if you want to here's here's maybe a, a change that we need to make in our minds is that the gifts are for ministry and so if we're wanting to do ministry, we should be wanting to do the ministry with the gifts operating. And so if we're going to do that and the gifts are going to operate in our ministry, that's when I believe we're really going to start seeing fruitfulness in our lives. And so we do that. We pray for the gifts to operate, but then we can't quench the, the gifts. We can't quench the Spirit. So you need to pray for those things. You need to ask. You know, I, I tell my church over again, ask is A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. We have not because we ask not, and we, we don't get because we don't seek, and we don't knock. But if you knock on some doors, God said he would open them. So if you're wanting to be used in the gifts of the Spirit, you know, make sure you're not doing it for your flesh's sake or for personal glorification but that you're using it, as Paul said, for the edification of the church. 
then that should occur. But now, you know, we want, I have, uh, you, you want to talk to somebody. If you've got a word for somebody, that doesn't have to go through the pulpit. It doesn't have to go through a microphone. It can be you walking up to somebody and giving them a word of encouragement and saying, look, I was praying and I felt this. We, we, you know, there's people who want every gift of the Spirit to flow through the microphone, and that, that's one of our biggest problems. It, it shouldn't be that way at all. It should be person to person, uh, person to group, um, whatever's going on there. No, I agree. This is a, a subject that, as time has progressed, it, it's becoming more and more uh, real to me, more and more uh, something that, that I feel uh, pressed to, to really take the time to really begin to pursue. Uh, we have a mutual friend that we have referenced before, um, a, a man who I know has called you and, and has given you, you words before um, about how he saw an angel beside you, and you've confirmed that that you could, you, you knew that angel was present whenever he called you and talked to you about that. Uh, well, that friend, um, I think it was the third, second or third phone call that we had, and I'll go ahead and say his name. Shout out to Sean Butler. Uh, he's been a good friend to me in the short Amen. amount of time that I've been connected with him. But uh, he, he, we were just kind of having a casual, casual conversation, and all of a sudden he kind of stopped and said, I've got a word for you. Mm-hmm. And he began to, to speak into my life about how he he felt like I was being I was given God was opening up a window of opportunity for ministry into the gifts of the spirit and he said other things I won't go on into here into the the podcast about maybe we can talk about it off air Um, so about two weeks later I'm here in this last Sunday I was standing in the altar and I was thinking about that and I said God if that's real I'm seeking confirmation. There's a man in our church that we've had on the podcast, Brother David Ayton. He walked by me and he stood there for just a brief second before he said anything and he kind of leaned in and he's much taller than me. He kind of leaned down to me and he said, I was standing over there praying and I just felt an impression in my spirit to come over and tell you that I feel like God is leading you into the gifts. And so I don't think I'm alone. I think there's, there's people out there that whenever I say that, you've had those same types of words spoken into your life. Yes. That there have been people that have ministered in the gifts and have come to you to be like, there's something that I see in you, not through my carnal eyes, but through spiritual eyes, that there is something that God is wanting to do within you. Yes. And for a moment, Brother Flowers, I'd like to you here at the, in the end, you've given us advice on how to be, uh, how to learn, how to not be afraid. I want you to minister directly to somebody that is feeling that desire, that has had that word. Where do they go to take either that first step or that next step to where they can be used in a mighty and effective way through the Spirit for God to reach this lost world? So the biggest warning, because I want to start with a warning, the biggest impediment to the operating of the gifts of the Spirit, it would be pride. Uh, you've got to remember that this is God moving through you. And so if you have a if you have a word for somebody that's supernatural, that's God. That's not you. That's God. You're just a vessel. Vessels don't get proud. Vessels go back on the shelf and wait until they're used again. And I'm not I'm not saying you're going to be shelved forever. But I would I would encourage you to press through 
and you know be as careful as you can possibly be but do what you feel to do I, I can tell you what opened up the gifts one of the things that kind of opened me to the gifts of the spirit is that I had been seeing and hearing and knowing things and I wouldn't say anything about it and so one night I had a friend of mine speak to me very directly about that and then he walked away and so I was just sitting outside thinking about what he had said and really feeling a lot of remorse over being guilty of quenching the spirit and uh, when so I started praying over it and then the Lord spoke to me and said you have seen and you have heard and you have quenched what you've seen and heard and now it's time for you to start speaking and to not hold back and literally the second after that there was a shooting star that shot across the sky with a big giant tail I've never seen one that bright before or since later on I heard Fred Childs confirm that he had the same thing happen to him and so I would say to anybody that we need you we need you operating in the gifts of the spirit uh, we need more words from the Lord, not less. We need There are people that would be stopped from suicide if the right person would do what they've been told to do. There would be people who are in severe depressions who would absolutely, um, you know, would, would be lifted if somebody would, if they just knew that just for one second God cared. If they just knew, you know, that he's here, it doesn't matter what what is even said almost. It's just they just need to know that God cares. And I'm, I'm going to tell you one story, and I'm going to wrap it up. But early on when I was starting to see the gifts, David Fuller, um, Robert Fuller, pardon me, Robert Fuller uh, was a friend of my parents, and I knew that he had cancer. And so in the middle of the night I had a dream, and in my dream there was a gun put to his head. And then the trigger went off, and the and the bullet came, the gun exploded the bullet. But right before the bullet could come out, a hand reached over and slapped the gun, and it missed Brother Fuller. Well, I didn't say anything about it because it was just so weird. And then, like, maybe six weeks later, the Lord spoke to me and said, that dream is for now. And so I got his, I got his phone number from somebody, I don't know who, and I called him. And I said, Brother Fuller, can I talk to you for a moment? And he said, sure. And I could tell it was very heavy in the car. And I said, and I told him the dream precisely. And I said, and the Lord, I said, I wish I could tell you that the Lord had said to me, he's going to heal you. But the Lord did not say that to me. But the Lord did show me that the devil tried to take your mind out and that God stepped in and prevented that from happening. And God loves you. I didn't know he was driving home from the last doctor visit where he was told there's nothing else we can do. And everybody in the car was tore apart. I didn't know all that. I had forgotten about it for the most part until Brother um, Seagraves was here a couple of weeks ago. And his wife is, is, was uh, Brother Fuller's widow. They found each other late in life and got married. And that's been a beautiful thing for both of them. She came up and reminded me of all that. And I hadn't thought about it. And I'm not trying to get any pride out of that at all. What I'm trying to do is get you to see something that there are spiritual dreams and there are spiritual visions and there are things that happen and if I had quenched that that man had to go home and face that diagnosis with no help but because I was willing to open up and say well, this is what the Lord showed me he went to his his according to his wife he went to his grave in peace that there was a supernatural peace that entered into that house 
I didn't know this, but there there was, you know, the Lord, he had had his mind attacked, and the devil had tried to convince him he was going to go crazy, but he didn't. And the Lord was speaking all these things to him. And so we got to hear, and we got to see, and we got to feel. So, and when we do, then we got we got to deliver what the Lord has given us. And then we got to go back and pray that we don't get proud. Man, Brian. So. Did you envision a conversation like this tonight? Because I didn't. Oh, I, I knew I knew what we were in for. <laughs> I knew what we were in for. This one has been a, a great book, tremendous. Oh blessing. yeah, thank you so much. Yes, um, Pastor Flowers, Brian, and I like to end every podcast with giving you uh, an opportunity to share with us uh, some recommended reading, something that you've that's really impacted you. Um, we'll share that with our guest as a link to where he can purchase that. Also, we also like to give you the opportunity to give our listeners a final word, whether it be encouragement, whether it be something God's dealing with you about or something, anything that we might have missed. But I, I want to ask you about some recommended reading, something that's really been passionate for you. So I'm weird about reading. I don't read vociferously at all. I, I, I read something and I try to put it into play. So I'm very picky about what I read. Uh, that's just that's probably something I should be embarrassed about, but I just I prefer to to selectively read and read deep if that makes any sense. And so I would say to a good friend of mine Eugene Wilson, if you haven't read Seventy or Realign by Eugene, you should read it because I've read Realign. Yeah, and so you go ahead and get Seventy, and then he's got a third book out that I don't know the name of it. I've read almost everything that Brother Bernard wrote. I highly recommend those. Um, and so, and then Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I read it through like two and a half, three times. Uh, obviously, it's not really a Christian book, but there were some good things in there, some good strong principles in there. So that takes care of the book uh, recommendation. And then you wanted me to encourage, leave a word of encouragement. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so you can either, like I said, we'll give you the floor. You can talk about anything you just like to talk about, anything that's on your heart. You we might have missed it, anything. Either it's something you want to talk about on the podcast, something you want to go back to, whatever you want to do as kind of a wrap-up to to just get something out there. Like I said, of course, we would love for you you know, to directly minister to an individual, but if you just feel like there's something you're just passionate about that you just want to get out there, you can unburden yourself. So I believe we are in the best days of the church. And I believe that our best is in front of us, it's not behind us. So I'm speaking to somebody here who has been tempted to give up on the church. Do not give up on the church. As you see the day approaching, get into the church more and more. And if it's not everything it needs to be, you take ownership of that and pray until it becomes what, it, what you feel like it should be. And, you know, the, God is getting ready to do tremendous things uh, in our churches. But beware that you don't miss it when God does it. We, we, we don't celebrate. I mean, we had a lady a couple weeks ago get the Holy Ghost on her face in the carpet and had instantaneous nicotine delivery, like del deliverance. She was completely uh, free of cigarettes from there forward and and you know but you got to be aware that's a miracle that you know we got to celebrate those things so be aware when God does do something that you celebrate it because he'll do more when you celebrate it Pastor Flowers we consider it a great honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you and for you Brian I, I couldn't I couldn't thank you enough for bringing such a big powerhouse as your first invite <laughs> but uh, I want to speak to somebody out there as we're wrapping up that 
we've 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 dove into a lot tonight and the number one thing I want you to really take from this conversation is make sure you find that truth and you Amen. hold on to it and you trade it not right it's worth more than its weight in gold Brian what do you got I agree fully with you that if there's ever been a time to find the truth and to hold on to the truth it's now one of the things you talked about, Brother Flowers, has been something that I think on all the time is why is it important to believe certain things? Like when you talked about uh, the difference between the oneness and the Trinitarian doctrine, mm-hmm. is I think on that subject and I say, well, you know, the, the Trinitarians, they do profess they believe in only one God. So really, is it really that big of a deal? We're both saying we believe in one God. But, you know, whenever I think about it, I, I begin to think about it. It's like, you know, when you study the history of the formation of that doctrine mm-hmm. and how it is only a belief in my personal opinion in one God in name only yes because in a practical sense when you take it to its logical ends it is a doctrine that believes in three gods whether it be lowercase G's or capital G's it's three gods separate individuals and I begin to think about that and I begin to think about how why is it that that doctrine is the way that it is I may be a conspiratorial individual but I think in a way it's the enemy's way of mocking Christianity yes, yeah. and mocking yeah. the oneness because it's a, it, it is a way the enemy gets to sit back and laugh at the individuals who believe it. Well, they say, well, I believe in one God, but I don't understand how he can be one because somehow he's also three. And I think the enemy sits back and they laugh. Right. And I know it's kind of a weird way to make an illusion whenever I talk about something like that. But I think there are things that we go through in our life that we accept as normal, that the enemy has put in place for us to be to struggle against and to be confused about. And we've just come to the conclusion that what we're dealing with is just the way it's always been and always the way it's always going to be because this is just the life of the cards that have been dealt to me. And I'm here to say that that's not the way, that's not real life. No. That's not how things have to be. The diagnosis isn't how things have to be. But I think it's the enemy's way of mocking people that say, well, I believe in God. I just don't believe God's going to come through this time. And I think that is a lie from the enemy that is trying to confuse and deceive what God is wanting to do in your life. Yes. Don't let the enemy have a place for mockery. When you study in the Bible, a trademark of the enemy is mockery. It was Ishmael that mocked. Uh, Isaac, Isaac's being born. It was the people that showed up on the day of Pentecost that they mocked those that were being infilled with the Holy Ghost. Right. Mockery is a mark of the enemy, and I think there's a, an individual that's listening right now that the enemy has been using your life to try and make a mockery out of you, and God is about to show up in your life. Amen. You've been listening to the Crucial Conversation.